This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. We're back for Season 2. Welcome aboard. For those of you that are here for the very first time, welcome to the family. We are Australia's Sports Technology Podcast. All for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. ASTN are the peak industry body for sports tech in this country and the journey began 10 years ago. James Demetriou founded ASTN. He is the chairman of the organisation. And James is a former Essendon footballer in the AFL-VFL. An incredible career was cut short by injury. What James has done over the last 40 years is become such a powerful figure in sport, in commerce, in law in this country and, um, and in philanthropy as well. Ten years ago, uh, with you know that sort of ever prescient vision, he worked out that sports technology was something that was going to go, or something that was really going to grow, and become such a, a big part of Australia's future. And so he decided to get in at the front end and help to make it a big part of Australia's future. So he founded the Australian Sports Technologies Network, and in that time, the growth has been extraordinary. Thanks in no small part to James and his team. So Australian sports tech uh, industry, 10 years ago, was worth 250 mil. Not bad. Now it's worth 1.2 billion Australian dollars. And as James Demetrio has just said, we are only at the beginning of a sports tech boom. And the figures lay that out perfectly. Uh, Researchandmarkets.com, a US firm, released a report earlier this year where they say that the global value of the sports tech industry said to be around 14 billion US dollars last year. They're expecting 18% growth year on year, the biggest growth to come in the Asia Pacific region. And for the global value of sports tech in 2027 to be the best part of 40 billion US dollars. So it's going from 14 to 40 bill uh, from last year through to 2027. So it is boom time. And what is so cool is to see Australian businesses, Australian entrepreneurs, creatives, people who've got that ingenuity and that passion, that work ethic for sport and for tech that are creating such amazing results. And so this is this podcast is all about reflecting and, and sharing the latest news in the industry, but also shining a light on these Aussies that are doing bloody sensational things, both here at home and abroad. Now, ASTN, they have just opened the Australian Sports Innovation Centre of Excellence. The Victorian government put up the cash to make this possible. And ASTN and the Victorian government together are just doing an incredible thing where they have created this Centre of Excellence, which is a physical hub in the Melbourne suburb of Cremorne to help supercharge the sports tech industry. So right throughout this podcast and the weeks that follow, we're going to highlight different parts of what the centre will do, what it can achieve, um, and how you can get involved. Uh, The quickest step right now, astn.com.au. Jump on board and uh, see all the latest news. Uh, On the show today, 
got some huge guests. Former Wallabies captain, legend of rugby union in Australia, Sterling Mortlock is on the show. As well as that, his partner in crime, global sports tech leader, James Godfrey. Sterlo and Godders together make up XV Capital Advisory, and they are big time in the news headlines, as we'll find out in a second. As well as that, John Persico from ASTN, also the co-founder of the Sports Tech World Series and, and a global a global dynamic figure in sports tech is John. John's just got back from Dubai, Expo 2020, the greatest show on earth, the, the ultimate showcase of what the future is going to look like. Sports tech and Australian sports tech played a big part in that. John's just got back from Dubai. He'll give us the latest from there. So we've got Sterlo, Goddard, John Persico coming up. But first, let's take a look at what's making news. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. The smart ball revolution has begun in Australian rugby union and rugby league. Sports tech startup Sportable, who are powered by the Aussie firm XV Capital Advisory, have created a smart ball that records 20 pieces of data per second. Super Rugby Pacific games are now using the smart ball. Expectations huge about what this could mean for high performance, in-stadium experience, broadcast media, augmented and virtual reality, and broader commercialization. This comes as Sportable Smart Ball is now being used to power augmented reality experiences in English Premiership Rugby. Meantime, the NRL have been using the smart ball in a trial in the NRLW season to see if they can solve the perennial problem with forward pass decision-making. And as I say, soon we'll be joined by Wallabies legend Sterling Mortlock and James Godfrey, sports tech star from XV Capital Advisory. They'll give us an inside word on the smart ball tech. Australian sports tech heavyweight Rostify, the workforce management company, will roll out their new Rostify Connect platform at this year's Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Rostify, whose stable of clients include the Super Bowl, FIFA World Cup and Expo 2020 in Dubai, have created this new platform to leave long-lasting volunteer legacies in communities. Fantastic social good being done there by Bennett, Rostify, the whole team. Great stuff. Shannon as well. Great people. Internationally, speculation continues to mount that Apple and Amazon could face off in a clash of the mega-rich media titans vying for their remaining NFL broadcast rights. Amazon will already start as the exclusive broadcaster of Thursday Night Football, paying a reported $1 billion per annum. Now Apple, worth $2.7 trillion, is said to be weighing up expansion into NFL programming, setting up a possible battle with Amazon for broadcast assets like the Sunday ticket package of games. And after six months of grand exhibitions, Dubai's Expo 2020 has come to a close. Australia's role in future sports tech again being highlighted with multiple delegations from our shores attending the event. One of those, John Persico, co-founder of the Sports Tech World Series, has recently returned from Dubai. He'll join us later in the show with an exclusive insight. But up first, Sterling Mortlock and James Godfrey. It's the biggest story in Australian sports tech in 2022. The smart ball revolution in rugby union and in rugby league. And at the heart of this story, our two old mates, Sterlow and Goddard. Sterling Mortlock, 
former Wallabies captain, rugby union immortal, and James Godfrey, who's one of the leading figures now in sports technology throughout the globe. Sterlow and Godders, they're regulars on the show. They are the founders and the men behind XV Capital Advisory. Boys, welcome back. Great to be here, mate. Good to see you again, Lockie. <laughs> now, fellas, how do you feel about this? Now, Sportable is one of your key clients. You got in there at the coalface. Sterlow, I know you head up their Australian operations. Uh, for the smart ball technology to be now used across Union and in a trial phase in the NRLW, what does this mean to you guys? Well, from, from, from my perspective, it means the beginning, to be honest, and there's still a hell, hell of a lot of hard work to be done. But it's very exciting from our point of view. Um, I guess when, when Goddard and I first saw Sportable as an opportunity, um, and we've got a, a fair bit of criteria around whether we look deeper and, and harder at an opportunity, and, and we did do that, and we said to ourselves, geez, this is a game changer. And um, I guess it was slightly surprising, to be honest, that it actually made the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald in Sydney. But from from our point of view, we always knew that this was going to be a, a great thing for all the codes, and in particular for Rugby Australia, to, to put the flag out there and say, hey, we're doing something pretty cool and pretty innovative. And this is going to help with high performance, it's going to help with fan engagement, and we can help commercialise this as well. So um, that's pretty exciting. But as I said before, mate, there's still a lot of work to be done. In particular, um, you know, how the, the commentators integrate it to the broadcast, how the broadcaster integrates it as well. It's sort of mm. a blank canvas because the quality and the amount of data that this creates, it's spitting out data 20 times a second back to the platform, which automatically integrates what's going on um, in real time. So it, it's sort of, we're only at the very start of what potentially this can this can do to enhance fan engagement and, and the broadcast and, and what viewers are seeing in regards to the skill and the execution out in the pitch. It is extraordinary. And and just for the listeners who might have missed the last chat that we had, you've got this tiny data chip uh, installed inside the bladder of the Gilbert ball. And then you've got eight beacons around the stadium that, as Sturlow's saying, uh, 20 times per second, they are bringing data back to a overall generation. And then that data is spat out to broadcasters, to coaches, high performance. Godders, what sort of data are we actually extracting in those 20 bits per second. Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me, at the moment, um, the ball is is feeding out data around its location, and that could be its height, it could be its distance. Uh, it's spitting out data in regards to the speed of the travel of the ball. It's spitting out data in regards to the rotation of the ball. So whether that is the ball spinning axis on axis, like a, a drop punt, or whether it's a mm. ball that is spiralling um, with a with a torpedo punt, or mm. so I'm just talking about kicking there. If we transition to to passing, um, so data even um, around around the reload, and the reload is the time it takes from when a player catches the ball to releases the ball from a pass. It identifies that that is part of the activity of the pass. Yeah. Uh, so you've got 
these AI-driven algorithms that are basically identifying every action in the game, whether it is a kick, a pass, a restart, a dropout, a punt. And mm. within inside each of those actions, there's a number of bits of data that um, that are being provided. So as Jello said, it's, um, you know, we're, we're quite operational at the moment around it. And the, it's such a rich data source that it's a little bit overwhelming, to be honest. Um, and we're working through this um you know, step by step with broadcasters and with national governing bodies, because we've actually got to take uh, everyone on the journey um, yeah. in uh, in sort of understanding what you know the information and the insights that these uh, that the smart ball can start to provide to to fans, and not suddenly bombard them with uh, you know hundred data points per game. And sort of take them on the journey of okay, here's a little bit of information, and let's explore how that information gives them a greater understanding of the game. And Sterling Goddard, how do you go about that? Because I suppose that's what you tap into is such a, a great point that you're almost overwhelmed with so much information at your fingertips. How do you, you know, give it in a in a digestible manner? How much strategy? What are you guys thinking in terms of the way you will actually uh, allow that information to flow? What's the strategy there? Yeah, I guess from our point of view, trying to simplify and only really have sort of three or four really clear um, actions that we're going to focus on to start with so in particular one that's one that's it's it's always been a, a bit of a bugbearer for, for a lot of rugby followers in australia is box kicking from from the halfback but box kicking box kicking has been you know prevalent in the game for the last 10 to 15 years you know well before i retired 10 years ago and the countries that do it well are good exponents of it it's it's a massive weapon for them and so that's one of the, of the key attributes of the game that we want to highlight and say, okay, you know, um, say, for instance, Nick White, the, the halfback of, of the Brumbies, you know, he, he's kicking the ball 20, 27 metres. It's carrying 27 metres and, and he's doing that in 0.7, you know, mils, uh, 0.7 of a second, which is really sharp. And he's also getting 4.5, you know, seconds of hang time. That creates great contestability of that, that ball and that was the reason why they won the position back and they gained, you know, almost 30 metres of territory and went again. That's the narrative that we want to create around this skill um, and that's what the ball the ball provides mm. that. But also you do need the commentators to un to really clearly understand that as well because this data they haven't seen yeah. it. Um, so it's been pretty good from our point of view that we've, that Sportable has been working in the UK with a number of, you know, the, the teams uh, and they do have pretty strong data on what uh, is is pretty good skill in just in isolating a box kick. But similar for that, there's a few other things that we're, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, restarts. In, in, in our game, when you get scored against, the kickoff is really, really important. And same, you know, if you actually do score against your opponent, your ability to to what is called often in our game exit when you get a get a kickoff receipt is really critical. So that kickoff yeah. and analysing that quality kick and execution of that kick is really important and sportable the data around that will help provide that as well. So there are two areas that we've piloted and said it's really simple for us to 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 create to provide a narrative for the commentators to really dissect when that happens and when it's done really, really well. And how about for you, Goddard? Yeah, I mean, um, what I found fascinating with the commentators, you, you know, they've got a great understanding of of the game. So 
extending on that box kick scenario that Sterlo talked a little bit about, mm. um, you know, there are various scenarios if you don't execute the box kick particularly well, there are other outcomes. So Sterlo talked about a great contest and it keeps the attacking team on the front foot with a contestable kick. Um, if it isn't executed to perfection and the ball is passed on three occasions and then there's a, a wiper's kick that sends you 60 metres back down the other way, the poor execution of that one skill moment can cost your entire team 60 mm -hmm. metres compared to mm -hmm. gaining it 30 metres. Or it could be three or four passes, get you out to the wing and there's a counter-attack situation where your defence is quite weak based on where that box kick was executed and where your kick chase was. So there's all this yeah. space out there. So um, the importance of the execution of that, of that kick is actually really relevant um, to broader insights and, and consequences uh, in the game. And as Joe as said, we don't particularly like box kicks down here in Australia or understand yeah. why, but this is actually giving you some really strong insights as to why this is effective and what its role is in, um, in the strategy of the game, uh, which people and fans probably don't, don't quite understand at the moment. Yeah. And Stur Sturla, you're one of our greatest ever rugby union players, former Wallabies captain. How much would you have loved to have this information at your fingertips? You know, mid-game, half-time, you know, where you can actually receive this, get a greater understanding. Oh, mate, it, uh, that's, a, that's an outstanding question because immediately when I saw this, all I said was, oh, yeah. mate, if, if I had this when I was playing, I would have been salivating because I played with some of the best ball distributors and ball players you know, the, the, the world Australians ever seen. Um, George Gregg and Stephen yeah. Larkham. In particular, not many people understood uh, Bernie Larkham. Um, and when you played with him, he was a freak, full stop. But not, not many people understood, mm -hmm. firstly, how fast he accelerated with the ball. That's something that's, that Sportable could tell straight away. That, you know, he's, he's, at, he's almost at 10 metres per second after, you know, after half a second or whatever he is. That's how fast he went, mm -hmm. what it sort of felt like. And... His ability to throw a long ball when he was travelling at that velocity at 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 the um, defence line as well. Um, There's a number of times. So in my first ever Bledisloe Cup match at Stadium Australia, which is still to this day a world record crowd, it's just under 110,000. Bernie Bernie cut through a cut through a gap. I was in the wing on the right wing. I knew that he was going to um, make that gap, and some would call that because we had great cohesion. Um, and, and, yeah. and so I just zipped you know, hooned through and then he's just thrown a 20 metre dart and I've caught, plucked out my right arm, caught it one-handed. Um, I shouldn't have done that. But anyway, and scored untouched. <laughs> and to me, when I saw Sportable, I just thought to myself, wouldn't it have been great to show him that as far as A, how hard he hit that line, the acceleration he put on the ball, yeah. and B, the 20 metre pass at 12 and a half minutes per second with a pure spiral or a 97% spiral on that. Boom. That'd be yeah. cool. And for you, Godders, uh, with regards the opportunities to commercialise, to monetise and for the broadcast package, what do you see the scope being there? Yeah, so if you... Um, if, if we just sort of look at, look at the broadcast, for example, um, sponsors... Let's look at rugby league at the moment. I mean, officiating. KFC sponsor the bunker, which is their officiating vehicle. So you can start to see that if data is used for the bunker on officiating, then there will be sponsors that will want to be wrapped around 
that data and the insights that are that are provided by that or if there are particular insights and moments you know special moments in a game that a particular brand would like to be aligned with it might be you know a halftime segment integrated as a broadcast partner or it could be the you know branding around the automation you know the automated graphics that pop up on screen during during the game so there could be sort of you know sponsor sponsor integration into into a broadcast there, something that we haven't talked much about, but certainly it's enormous in North America and Australia is pretty well established as around betting. So uh, the data that comes from the ball can create exotic betting markets in regards to live betting in-game predictions around distance of kicks or you know there's a whole there's there's a whole raft of exotics that. And this is all around fan engagement. So you've got a fan that's sitting there that's watching a game. They could be watching the game. Uh, also on, you know, second screen is is something that is um, is is quite significant. And and this week actually in the Premiership in the UK, Sportable launches the smart ball into the UK Premiership, and their BT is their is their their partner there. There's an augmented reality capability that you will look through your phone at the game live and you can start to see sportable data associated with particular kicks in a 3D manner and you can sponsor the background of that augmented reality that's completely different and it could be completely different on anyone's phone. Yeah. Right? So you can start to have tailored tailored sponsorship through the lens that you're looking through. I just want to watch kicks. I just want to watch box kicks. I just want to watch passes over 15 metres and that over 15 metre pass is sponsored by X. Yeah. Right. So it is, um, you know, it's really, it's really quite endless. You know, in stadium sponsorship, if there's things that are being reshown on on the big screen, again, the NRL um, doesn't go to the broadcast in regards to their TMO. They mm-hmm. go to the big screen. So there's big screen sponsorship opportunities there. Uh, it, it it really it really is endless, and that's where probably the overwhelming nature of it is. Let's just keep it simple introduce it and uh you know this this is a you know it's a it's a it's a long play so we don't we don't overwhelm everyone well uh, for the listeners as goddess was explaining that augmented reality and all these different options the look on sterlo's face like a kid at christmas just this big (laughs) smile coming through thinking about all of the you know the Mm. potential that's on the horizon pokemon go mate in augmented reality <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but this is what's happening. This is this is into the Premiership this weekend, round twenty-one, augmented reality uh, in Correct. stadium. So, and the stadiums have to, you know. So anyway, it's a, it's 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 not a it's not a pipe dream. It's just that different marketplaces are evolving in different at different speeds, and interested yeah. in different in different solutions and different sponsors are getting behind certain things that align with their products. Yeah. Well, totally. You're, you're right. It's not a pipe dream. It is a reality. And it's a reality that your company is putting together. It's amazing stuff. No, it's fantastic. And I guess the one thing that, that we're talking about here is that then it leans back on the infrastructure partners at, at the actual stadiums as well. Because, um, you know, mm-hmm. all the ones, all the up-to-date ones, you know, have great Wi-Fi connectivity and or 5G there that, that because, you know, they, if, if they're going to have 100,000, they, they want more to be on the phones in order to be engaged. Um, whereas historically we know yeah. that some stadiums don't have that capacity and, you know, there's black spots um, from our point of mm. view. And I was told, interestingly, in a, in a conversation with Al Baxter yesterday, who's a 
one of Sterling's ex-teammates who's a, a sports stadium architect, and he'd been at SoFi, which is one of the te- most technology advanced, technologically advanced stadiums, um, you know, based in based in LA. And he said their Wi-Fi and 5G uh, infrastructure allows every person at the stadium to be watching two devices and watching two videos and posting, downloading or posting videos at a time. In Australia, the, the maximum we could do is have one phone with one static image being sent. And that's why often, you know, infrastructure inside our stadiums, you can't call people. When people yeah. are downloading things and sending images and taking so that technology is going to be really critical um, for sport going forward as stadium infrastructure technology to uh, accommodate the capabilities that are existing. Yeah, and, and also to, to accommodate the, the modern expectations of, of young people that potentially you want to attract to, to, to viewing these games. You know, they're, they're used to absorbing yeah. things, multiple things on multiple platforms all at the same time. Um, so... If we don't, if we can't cater for that, then they're probably not going to come, right? And what about in the NRLW? I mean, this is huge. The, the forward passes. I mean, it's such a vexed issue in the sport of league. And for the NRL to take this on, put it in as a trial phase in the NRLW, um, Sportable. You guys are you using three D field mapping. Can you explain how the smart ball works within that domain, please? Well, it's 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 actually exactly the same as as in Union. You know. My understanding is it's still eight beacons around the pitch and it triangulates the ball. And initially, when we first started looking into this, we thought that the only way this would work would be to have all the players that, to wear trackers. Um, you know, all players mm. in sports for many, many, many years have worn GPS trackers and, and, and that's been the norm. I actually remember many, many eons ago when, when um, World Rugby actually w- w- weren't allowing it to happen Sands at the time said, oh, maybe. And then I remember Brumbies were playing a, a trial match and we said, bugger it, let's do it. And both teams agreed, so we just did it. And the floodgates yeah. opened. But that was a long, long, long time ago. Um, but we thought that was the way forward, that it had to be integrated with, with the player tracker. Um, fast forward to, I guess, a few a few weeks of, of Pete and his team, um, the propeller heads, as I like to call them. Um, and, and, and they... <laughs> The NASA, the NASA propeller heads. That's right. Yeah. So for the, for the listeners, that's Dr. Pete uh, Newsmeyer. Am I saying Hughes-Meyer. that correctly? Newsmeyer. He was actually yeah, he was actually Hughes-Meyer. referred to in an SMH article, I think, as Dr. Nick Riviera. No, Dr. Nick. So I changed his name to Dr. Yeah. Nick. Dr. Nick Newsmeyer. <laughs> and so we, there was memes going around saying, "Hi, everybody, I'm Dr. Nick." <laughs> Sound a lot like Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've gone, I've gone mad segue there, but um, yeah. So trying to get me back on, back, back on topic. Yeah. So officiating so, the ball forward pass. Yeah. So, so basically, we didn't, we actually didn't need that. <laughs> so it's more around, it's more around yeah. the, the, um, the pass trajectory and the ball velocity relative to uh, prior to the pass. If that makes sense. Jeez. So, so if, yeah, if, if okay. I'm traveling at, I don't know, let's say nine meters per second and I throw the ball backwards, um, theoretically it should be less than nine meters per second, right? Yeah. yeah. So a bit of vector, bit of physics vectors and whatnot. And it's way beyond our mm. pay grade. But Pete and his team mapped it out and they didn't actually need the trackers to get this sorted. And I guess the only one thing that probably from my perspective was a little bit of a mess was that we had spoken to, um, 
you know, we'd gone through Peter Valandis and spoken to Andrew Abdo, CEO um, at, at NRL, and we basically made it really clear that there's a lot of other opportunities that Sportal can bring straight to the table, and we wanted to potentially highlight that during this trial. Um, unfortunately, it was just a little bit too late to get the broadcasters engaged and to really fully integrate it. So effectively, it's been years. It's been what we, what we call a, a dark trial. Um, all the data has been collected yeah. in real time, as is the case in, in, in rugby. Um, but there'll be, uh, I guess, a presentation that will be uh, yeah, very soon. Very soon will be, be provided back to the NRL um, as to where you can take this. And from our point of view, um, we're pretty confident that it can help solve that problem around the Ford Pass as well. Incredible. It's amazing what you gentlemen are achieving and um, to all the team at Sportable. Uh, just quickly, just before we go, we should give Dr. Pete some love. So he's a nuclear engineer from South Africa originally. He and uh, two mates came up with this. Can you just give us just a little inkling into the very backstory of it all? It's amazing how this is now you know, front and centre, EPL, rugby union, rugby league, but it all starts with Dr. Pete from South Africa. Yeah, it's a Africa. great story. So they're actually attending... You know, it's, it's ironic. I'm up actually in, in the US, and, and it's snowing here. They're attending an ice hockey game, <laughs> and right. there was some big collisions happening. And they both looked at each other and said, "Imagine if we knew the force that went into that collision." Um, yeah. At the same time, obviously, the puck you know travels with huge velocity and everything else, and there's a lot of skill in that game as well. But that was the genesis. And then Pete, being, uh, I said it's a nice way, a propeller head. He, was, he started actually on the back, back of the, of the, not an envelope, but on the back of the um, thing uh, on the table, was sort of mapping it out, how, how you could actually quantify the force going into some of those hits and the speed and velocity that the puck was going at and everything around that. Uh, and then being sappers, mm-hmm. you know, they, their number one sport was rugby. So they then extrapolated yeah. that and said, let's, let's, let's do this in rugby. So that was the genesis. Um, and it was, so initially... Uh, I don't know if we went into this. There's sort of three three sort of sleeves to the sport of offering. I think the first one was actually their impact wearable. The smart yeah. wearable. The smart wearables that gives you details on force and collision rates. And that, mm. that will come again uh, after after the ball and after player tracking them, smart wearables, and they'll all talk to Correct. each other. But they just, they just said, well, hang on a minute. Rugby and, and a lot of these ball sports, it's about manipulating space, but actually utilizing the ball why aren't we getting data on the mm. ball so then they flip the focus from the, the impact wearables and the tracker into the ball and so that's sort of where we've, where we've led that's the tip of the spear but the reality is you know um from a patents and ip and everything around that there's still a tracker and there's still the impact wearables which could technically you know help with a lot of officiating around offsides and also tackle technique you know head high tackles and all those things that actually are a little bit of a challenge to a lot of contact sports right now. Goddard, last one for you. You've seen the journey that Sportable are on, um, where they're at now, their peak of their powers. What advice would you have for the listeners we've got that are in those embryonic stages and they're thinking, gee, can I get this to work? What advice would you have? You've helped Sportable get to where they are. What advice would you have for the next up-and-coming product or brand? Um. I suppose, first of all, it's getting some strong capital partners that are willing to be um, active and willing to be um, strategically involved in, 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 in the business. Um, 
I think that's been one of the differences that um, I suppose our involvement with with Sportable. We haven't just been an investor that's been passive and, and watching what's going on. We've done everything we can based on our experiences and our networks to help them fast track and accelerate their business. Um, yeah. So I suppose that's that's the advice. That might be a bias set of eyes because that's that's the business model that we we have in place, but it's working. Makes sense. So, yeah. um, so I think, yeah, strong, strong capital partners, uh, people who want to be active, who are willing to leverage their experience to add value to, to what you're trying to do is probably mm. the, the early step of, um, step of advice and, um, and work, work hard. You know, the, the, the sportable guys, um, the ability for them to turn work over and yeah. slightly shift as required Amazing. is absolutely phenomenal. It's, you know, classic, classic agile tech um, ability to shift and move really, really quickly. And that's what you've got to, got to be able to do internally and operationally to stay ahead of other people coming into that space. So it's um, definitely I'd, two two bits of And I'll just add to that as well. That mm-hmm. I think it's really critical for any any startup that's wanting to accelerate their growth to have a really strong advisory advisory board. Um, Sportable has had that mm. and then also they've reinvigorated that only in the last period of time as well. And depending on, on your on your runway and where you are at will depend on what that what the skill requirements and what you will lean on that, that advisory board. But um, that's really important to have that and certainly in Sportable's scenario that's that's been pretty 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 strong as well. Gentlemen, uh, congratulations on what you're achieving. XV Capital Advisory, Sterling Mortlock, James Godfrey, thank you very much. Cheers, Lockie. Thanks, Lockie. Talk soon, mate. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Yes, indeed, we are here for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN. ASTN are the peak industry body of sports technology in this country, and it's a field that is just thriving. $1.2 billion it's worth now. And it's one of those new areas of the world economy that's got so much potential on the horizon. Aussie businesses coming up with unique products, walking on the world stage. And ASTN are a big part of that. Their job is to take in businesses, bring them along, and help them grow, help them expand, connect them, join the dots. So much of life is networking. The old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, ASTN, they know who you need to know, and they'll help you get to know them. Uh, It is all about that. It's knowing people. It's the network. So crucial. Uh, James Demetriou, who's the founder and uh, CEO, chairman, um, you know, former Essendon footballer, and a an administrator across sport, law, commerce for the last 30 or 40 years and has just been so dominant in, in the Australian landscape. Someone who's had a passionate drive to bring people together. He started this organisation, you know, 10 years ago. So 10 years they've been on this journey. And in that time, as I say, the industry has grown to 1.2 billion Australian dollars um, so if you want to get involved with ASTN, if you want to be a part of the sports tech fraternity, get involved in the networking, help grow your business, grow your profile, grow your career within this domain, 
astn.com.au astn.com.au and uh, for any students that are listening for any students that are listening might be tech students at uni at TAFE sports administration commerce business matter of fact any sort of student if you're listening you can join ASTN for free students are in the door for free it's all about helping to grow the industry there's a vast array of membership packages for everyone else um, hopefully you can find something that is the right fit for you okay next we're heading to Dubai sort of John Persico just got off a plane from Dubai we'll find out everything that happened sports tech wise from the greatest show on earth Expo 2020 in Dubai So Expo 2020 in Dubai is just wrapping. Uh, Expo 2020, well, originally it was meant to occur in 2020, but as a consequence of COVID, pushed forward to, well, the back half of 2021 and, and front end of 2022. So the Expo is, they have these events and it's essentially, well, like in the old school days, it was called, you know, the World's Fair, the Grand Exhibition. They had the one in London like 170 years ago where they built Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, like the actual Crystal Palace. And they built it there and they had this big exhibition where they showed you what the rest of the world was going to look like in the next 20, 30, 50 years as the steam revolution was taking hold. Well, this one is as the tech revolution's taking hold, the digitalization, the metaverse, artificial intelligence, and specifically sports technology. And Australia has gone there and just gone bang. We're setting up shop and we're here for the world to see. John Persico was there representing Australia. JP is one of the founders of the sports tech industry in Australia. He's been there from day one. He is the co-founder of the Sports Tech World Series in the engine room of ASTN. And he joins us now on the show. John, welcome aboard. How are you, Lockie? How are you keeping? Mate, great to see you at Dubai Expo 2020, the greatest show on earth. 25 million people rolled through the door there. That's the population of Australia went to Dubai to see what the world is going to look like in future. John, I know that you and the Australian sports tech community at the pointy end were there and you planted a flag down. You know, it's a bit like Neil Armstrong putting the American flag in the moon. Australian sports tech put its flag promptly down to try and establish itself in the world setting. John, tell us about what happened in Dubai. I think it's a pretty exciting, I think the Middle East is a very exciting economic story of the next decade. I think, um, you know, it's kind of part of that regional story, but it's the first time that the Queensland government's kind of made a statement to the world to say we're as much here for the, the economic story as we are for the sports story and the growth story for the next, dec mm. the next decade ahead and beyond. Um, and also starting to, for the Australian government um, and the Victorian government to also work at um, promoting, you know, the successes and the stories around how, you know, Australia is a, a, the sports innovation, very much a job facilitation, you know, mini miracle in the, in, in the work that's been done. You know, nearly 600 companies exist in a, in a population of, you know, 25 million, you know, and how we have mm. to become a very export orientated and trade orientated mind. Um, culture um, that we're open for investment and that our education and mentoring programs are world-class and I think um, you know I think it was a really great opportunity to to meet with some profound you know 
people. And it was really led by, you know, big thanks to the people at Austrade and the Australian government, you know, Trade Investment Queensland, um, the Department of Tourism, Sport and Innovation in Queensland government and the Victorian government who worked really hard to put together uh, a few days over there to showcase the best of what we've got. And in terms of that, John, how important is it to be able to make those international relationships? Obviously, as you say, Australia punches above its weight, no question. But to be able to truly launch into another stratosphere, the global market is huge. The Middle East is obviously strong when it comes to capital investment. Um, how crucial was it? And, and what was the approach to try and really resonate with those international people in the room? I think historically, just because of market maturity, Australians have always looked east to America. And I'm not saying that's going to end anytime soon. I'm just saying it's 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 interesting because some of the, the fastest growing economies, particularly led by, I think, the UAE and the Saudis and Qatar are, um, you know, coming from the Middle East, right? So we're having to be fresh. We're having to be creative because they are pushing the envelope over there and they are wanting honest, hardworking, you know, reliable partners to help um, imagine that future. So I think there's there's certainly a um, an appetite to work with high performance, you know, partners who, who dream big um, and, you know, want to build, you know, a great future together. And I think there's certainly cultural alignment between um, the Middle East and Australia. And, and, I, and, I, and I expect, and, I, and I, we will see um, some great stories come out of that part of the world, I think increasingly. Um, part of Australia's growth and the Middle East growth too. Mm. Absolutely. And for Aussie businesses, would you have some words of advice? I mean, you've been to Dubai a number of times, you know, you're front and centre in the business community, both in Australia and globally. What advice would you have for Aussie businesses that are trying to tap into that Middle East market? As you said there, people that want to work hard and be honest. So character's important. What are the other touchstones for Middle East business to really be able to, you know, kick things off? I think I think you need to be you need to be strategic. Step one, right? You want to, you've got to make sure you you deeply understand partnerships are critical in the Middle East, um, as are they in Asia. Um, you've got to make sure you're working together with government, trade partners, commercial partners that you trust, but also that have a good read of the play. Um, I think that's probably one of the most important, um, you know strategies you can adopt um and in doing yeah. so that you can make sure you work with people you know that that you trust right ultimately uh business is built on trust mm-hmm. and um and i think making sure you understand your market you understand you're respectful of the culture right and it doesn't just work you know australian companies going to the middle east it's also middle east and companies coming to australia you've got to be you've got to understand mm-hmm. that you know we come from one of the most competitive sporting and entertainment landscapes in the world um, you know, but we're a small country, right? So you you've, yeah. you, you, you need to, you just need to do your homework and research. And I think other people come unstuck because they don't. Um, and also when you're going to a new new country slash new region, you've got to hustle hard. And I think that, um, you know, it was a really good opportunity to, uh, what I enjoyed about the Dubai trip, you know, showcase for the Australian government was, it was the launch of the um, Australian Sports Innovation Strategy by the COO of the Australian Sports Commission, Mr. Luke McCann, which really outlined sports innovation in Australia on the roadmap over the next 10 years. Um, but it was also an opportunity to showcase some really exciting companies that have done really well and are starting to do really good things on the world stage, including Valve, Next Level Racing, Axiom Holographic, Inspire Tech, Catapult Sports, and Smart Form Architecture. 
Um, it was one of the first times, I guess, Victoria and Queensland governments worked together on international trade-related um, opportunities mm. in this space. Um, you know, it's it's we as a country are, are very much working towards an aligned and integrated approach. Um, and, you know, I think that only helps um, all those things put in perspective, if that makes sense, particularly strengthening the eastern eastern seaboard as, a, as, as an integrated platform um, only makes yeah. Australia more more um, attractive to the Middle East um, as a partner in terms of capability, expertise and and um, and reach um, and that we can have critical mass working together. Well, I love hearing, as you said, that integrated approach. I mean, you've got Melbourne could be looking at the Com Games in a couple of years, obviously the Brisbane Olympics, the greatest show of all. Um, and you can imagine when New South Wales gets going as well, I mean, they're such a powerful state. You see that aligned together, uh, potential. They're going to have the netball. They've got the netball. They've got um, a handful of other world-class mm. events. Um, they've got the basketball, women's World Cup um, mm. this year. They've got the soccer uh, World Cup um, next year. So New South Wales has got their fair share of events already Absolutely. too. Um, so it's 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 certainly a pipeline that's it's big enough for everyone to enjoy and 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 work collaboratively collaboratively together. And John uh, Luke McCann, he's another dynamic operator. In terms of from that Australian sport point of view, what were some of the highlights of their ten year vision that they outlined? I mean, to me, it was to me it was it was more about the fact that we were having a, a federal led approach. Um, the states are yep. doing their own thing, which is great. But to me, it was the the unifying brokering role. That the government can play and bring together, you know, the university sector, the private sector, investment sector, um, in a coordinated manner to drive the future of research and, and knowledge that we need to make sure procurement's done well and sourcing's done well. It's, it's these kinds of things that, you know, led by a, the National Sports Innovation Council and, and and the federal government is is where it deserves. I mean, um, I think that it's a it's an exciting stage and I think there's been some big changes, you know, coming. And um, this is, I think this will be one of the greatest legacies of the next 10 years will be how everything integrates together and we can become more value-adding as a country and work on the hardest problems and, and make the biggest impact. And I think that's the document that's available on the internet. Just if you would type in Australian sports innovation strategy, um, you know, it's publicly available, but it, it, it clearly enunciates where we've been, where we are, where we can go. Um, and I think that we do need that support and that handholding from the federal government to make sure that we can go to a new frontier and, and not only be, you know, top five, top six in the world, but we can actually, um, in terms of impact, we can actually go towards that higher space and work on smart industries, right? Like, you know, AI or VR or 5G or blockchain, places where the world needs to go, wants to go, um, and that we've got the skills and leadership to be able to support, I guess, entrepreneurship and academia in going there. And I think um, it was a really, really big, exciting first step. And um, I think the um, federal government's to be support, you know, commended. And I think that everyone, you know, I've only heard ex exceptionally positive things. So, um, you know, looking forward to what comes next. And John, on a personal level, what was it like to be there? You know, to see just the extravagance, the optimization of imagination, uh, the expo. What was it like? I know you went to the museum of twenty seventy one. What what were your highlights from looking into the future? I mean, it was interesting, right? It was like very focused on 
space and very focused on um you know exploration but um you know i think they made i mean my personal view was they they said that certain things will be done in 2071 i think they'll be done in the next five years to be honest some of those yeah. things um, <laughs> it's um no it's good i mean the, the, look the, the, the big thing about the big thing about the dubai in particular is everything they've promised the world in the last 50 years they've delivered yeah. a lot of other countries and regions that you know talk a lot of shop but like dubai literally has delivered everything um yeah. it's an extraordinary it's an extraordinary place of, you know achievement and aspiration and i think um it's it's um it's going to be uh an expose as, as a launching pad but it's gonna there's gonna be some real trade and opportunities for everyone um, all the countries involved and all the people that, that, that participated I think that they're very serious about the internationalization of the Middle East and leading it. And um, yeah, I commend all the people involved. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's obviously a, um, you know, it's, they do things well, right? They do things very, very well, the UAE and uh, Abu Dhabi is the same. So uh, they're to be congratulated, all the, leaders, the leadership and the, all the stakeholders involved. And um, yeah, and it's good to, it's good to be able to, to see it and be part of it. Mate, congratulations. You're one of the founders of the sports tech industry. You were there from day one, and the fact that you were there to represent Australia on the world stage in Dubai is so fitting. I'm so wrapped for you, mate, on a personal level, professionally. Um, thank you very much for your time, John. Thanks, Lucky. Thanks, everyone. Uh, John Persico there. Wonderful stuff. Well, that wraps us up. Big first show back. Sterling Mortlock, James Godfrey, the Smart Ball Revolution, and JP from Dubai. Uh, thank you very much for your company. Much appreciated. Uh, please, feel free. If you enjoyed this, subscribe. Uh, you even want to do a little five-star review. Now, if you didn't really like it, give the review a miss. But if you're going to say nice things, definitely do the review. Uh, we'll be here every week. Drop it on a Monday. And uh, yes, this is Sports Cutting Edge, all thanks to the Australian Sports Technologies Network, astn.com.au. Check them out online. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.